Welcome to FinTech Family Hour. This is Zach Anderson Pettit, content director at Money 2020 by day, your host by night. We have a unique episode this week. We're just over four months out from the SVB receivership. This episode is all about one company's reaction to that crisis. Everyone was doing their absolute best, of course, but one company really stood out to me personally as things were unfolding. Modern Treasury. Being a friend of the show, I asked Dimitri Dadamoff, the man himself, to come tell the story, but that story wouldn't be complete without MT's own head of marketing and comms, Julie Mullins. She is a blast. You will enjoy her. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe, rate, review FinTech Family Hour wherever you listen to your podcast and even places you don't, you know, just go start putting it in the comments and places it doesn't make any sense. Help others find La Familia. We take care of our own, you know. This episode is brought to you by FS Vector, the firm for innovative financial services. Without further ado, here's Julie and Dimitri. I DM Dimitri, I think it was post all like post most of the insanity and just said like, well done, sir. Basically, I was just really impressed by the way you guys handled the whole SVB, all of the whole situation. And I felt like Modern Treasury was just kind of leading the pack through a lot of that and was communicating and being transparent in a way that I think, you know, not that the rest of the industry wasn't from some sense of like malintent or something like that, but just like, I felt like you guys were kind of a a step above and really doing some good stuff. And I wanted to pull you in here after the world has had a, a moment to kind of digest all of this and have a conversation about I guess just kind of being a fly on the wall a little bit and kind of how it all came together. So Julie, that's why we have you on a little bit. So maybe before we get into some of this stuff, maybe let's let's kind of explain more your role at Modern Treasury, a little bit more of your background, and then we can jump into kind of what it was like in those days and kind of how it all came to be the way it was. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I So I lead marketing here at Modern Treasury. Um, I've been here for about a year to 15 months or so a year plus, uh, but was advising the company for a couple years before that. So familiar and Dimitri and I have worked together in a, a previous life as well. Um, but my background is mostly marketing communications. Uh, and funny enough, a lot of crisis communications work too. And so I think, um, you know, I was spent six years almost at Fitbit. I was at Slack, um, ahead of that. And so, or after that, um, and kind of com- came from a world of like back-to-back mergers. I was at Fitbit, from IPO to the acquisition of Google, went through a lot of really interesting experiences um, there in terms of like building a brand, in terms of like dealing with physical products, sometimes things like product recalls, um, also the ups and downs of being in the public market. I joined Slack um, after the Fitbit merger with Google was well underway and and then immediately went into another acquisition of Slack by Salesforce um, and kind of helped manage that process um, through and then Dimitri convinced me to come over and and join. But I think uh, having that experience in these larger companies and public companies where you have that sort of like readiness for moments that happen, some are crises, some are just really important things that you have to navigate well. Um, I think probably is a great backdrop for kind of then what happened in in March with with the banks. Definitely, and I guess a little bit more kind of how familiar. Obviously, been kind of working with Dimitri for a while, but how familiar were you with 
finance, fintech, like how much of this world kind of is like net new to you from joining Modern Treasury? Because I don't think there was a ton of like financial stuff in your previous lives. They're, they're a different sense, right? Like fintech was less familiar to me. That was sort of a new area. I'd sort of spent my my time both in like, you know, SaaS with Slack, um, the sort of health and wellness and fitness with Fitbit. Um, but in those roles, a big part of that was sort of managing the corporate communications, the investor relations, how you communicate to your investors, how you communicate your financial performance, all of those things. So it's sort of they're linked in a way, but different industries, right? We weren't, I wasn't like heavily embedded in fintech, but I also understand the importance of how you respond and what, um, and what you do in a time of crisis or in a, how important the communications are that you put out into the world um, for those shareholders, um, for investors and for your customers. Like, and I think that's sort of like the, the central key that probably was, was really helpful as we kind of entered into that week in March. Yeah. And that's kind of why I asked the question is the kind of trying to draw parallels. I think one of the things for me about this is trying to kind of pull out some of the the overarching kind of heuristics, truths, whatever, in terms of just like corporate communications, I guess. Because I think one of the things that happened during this time was I think a lot of people, even inside of the organization I work at, there was a strong feeling from a set of us that there should be a response in some way, shape or form. If that response was like, Hey, we're here to help. Hey, let's help you find other bank. Like, you know, in my day job, like a, we work with a bank or two and the ability to potentially connect you to another bank is actually something maybe we could have done, but there was, you know, a lot of fear. There was and natural fear. I mean, we're owned by a publicly traded company, all that kind of stuff. So anyways, the, for me, it's a lot of just trying to understand kind of, you know, what are those real big takeaways, especially from you, Julie, that are, you know, true throughout your entire life in corporate comms that I feel like, especially founders should, should really understand some of probably. I think there's a, a thing early on where, like there's sometimes there's the the pile on effect, right? Where like something happens, there's like a news moment and like everyone wants to join the conversation, whether like they that should never or happens they shouldn't. Fintech. Never. That? <laughs> that's not why, that's not what we do on Twitter. <laughs> Dimitri was talking shit. He was saying that never happens in Fintech. Yeah, and and right Twitter. now people are, yeah, people are tweeting about whatever the fuck is going on today, I'm sure. So yeah. And I do think that like, there's just this level, like having been through so many different moments like this, where there's, really high stakes in terms of your brand and your reputation and how people are going to perceive you. Like you, you can only enter those conversations. I think when you're coming from a place of serving your customer and and solving a problem, honestly, and it's, there's no fluff there. There's no like inserting yourself into a place where you don't belong. And, And in this instance, I think there was sort of stars aligning where they're, we definitely belonged in part of that conversation and we had a really important role we could play. Um, but there was also a genuine desire. And I think this stems a little bit from like the team that Dimitri has built within Modern Treasury where like customers are at the center of that universe. And so it sounds kind of a Pollyanna thing to say, but it, it was very true for us. And so it wasn't actually like this big marshalling of the troops moment in some ways. It was like, just like the natural thing that everyone did. Like it just made sense. We were like, how do we, oh, here's what we can do. Like, let's start doing it. Um, instead of sometimes there's more of like the manufactured, how do you like step in and help? And how do you like move, move mountains to make it look like you're helping this team just stepped in and did it. I don't know, Dimitri, if you have other thoughts on, on how that went, but that was sort of the, the view. And for me, seeing that coming from the lens of like these big, large established public companies who, you know, sometimes you're marshalling and it's not inauthentic. It's just, 
you have to do it because there's an expectation that like you're going to be part of this conversation. Whereas here, you know, I think the expectation was internally that like we we can help and we have to do that. And like, let's just do it. Dimitri, I mean, take us back like to the to that moment. <laughs> well, the thing that I was going to maybe add to this is um, something that's, I think, unique maybe about the financial markets that's maybe a little bit different from, you know, um, consumer hardware or SaaS or something like that is that there is this element of like, uh, the panic that feeds on itself. And so like the question becomes like as an act, as, as an active participant in this sort of, uh, game, like, do you want to contribute to the panic or do you want to like sort of cool everybody down a little bit? And to what degree do you want to be able to like, what is, what is, what is your like responsibility? And then what is your role? Like, what do you actually want to actively like do? Um, and I think for us, like one of the things that we realized, so, um, you know, taking us back to that, Thursday, Friday, obviously there was a lot of, there's a lot of panic. There's a lot of, uh, customers who were wondering about where, you know, where they should go, like who should they be working with? We had a, a lot of companies that were very deeply integrated with SVB for their core money flow. So this isn't just like their corporate cash. It's actually like their product. Um, and so some of them had, you know, they were looking for uh, sort of a plan B and, and how do they how do they open uh, on Monday and, and keep running? So one of the things that we realized uh, pretty early on is obviously we didn't want SAB has been a, uh, a really key partner for us from the get go. And like there's something that we didn't want to feed into this, this panic, but at the same time, we wanted to serve our clients like well and be there for them when they needed uh needed help so one of the things that we realized is one of the unique things that we had that that most other people uh, didn't have access to is this connection into all the payment systems across the entire bank um across you know 100 clients or something and so um basically what we just realized i think it was that maybe saturday morning maybe friday night we realized it's saturday morning we put it together is we put together a status page and we called it the SCB Resource Center, and we basically updated every couple of hours, like, here's the status of what's happening on ACH, on WIRE, and National WIRE, et cetera. And uh, a lot of people who were uh, trying to figure out, like, what is actually happening to their to their services, um, were able to get this third-party uh, verification, if you will, of here's a snapshot of what's happening. Um, and it started being something that people kind of were sharing uh, that, that weekend and that um, Monday, Tuesday, obviously, when... The announcement came in sun, uh, Sunday night um, that they're setting up uh, the bridge bank. And so basically Silicon Valley Bridge Bank was set up and they kind of had to reboot and restart all those systems. Again, like that status page, we're able to kind of keep people um, apprised and aware of like what is actually happening. Uh, but that was something that was... Uh, you know, maybe to Julie's point, like, you know, it came, it came from a place of like, what's unique and novel and actually useful that we could kind of put out into the world and, you know, you know, have associated with us. I mean, I think there's an element of, Hey, like think of us as a responsible partner, certainly. But I think the real reason for it is to, you know, to help our clients actually know what's happening. One of the things I've wondered since that, you know, to, to the point around, you know, it's been two months and all that. And thinking about that status page, hypothetically, is that something that another company could have also done? I mean, I would imagine you're not the only organization with all of those connective links sort of a thing. I mean, you definitely have a like spider web that is to be envied. But is that something that another company, at least hypothetically, could have done? And may maybe a couple did or something, and I just don't know it. But um, just curious from from the architecture point of view. 
No, I mean, certainly the other companies could have done it. I, I think the thing that is maybe a little bit unique for us is that because we work with a number of different clients, we're going to have exposure to basically all the different systems. So, you know, without getting too nitty gritty about it, like a lot of banks um, have different systems, even within the bank. Sometimes there's acquisitions, things like that, that where they're maintaining multiple like ACH systems or multiple, you know, so that you end up getting into a world where um, saying just like, ACH at Bank X actually doesn't quite mean one system, sometimes multiple systems. So being able to actually show in one place, you know, being able to be con- connected to all of them is something that's a little bit unique to us. I think uh, most companies one off would not be would not be building that. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I'm smiling only because when you think about some of the Monday morning quarterbacking happening on Twitter, especially during this time frame, like the nuances that you're pointing out of, you know, if ACH ran here versus there versus like all the, but you know, everybody during those like three, four days was a fucking ACH expert all of a sudden. And it was anyway. And FDSC. Um, FDSC. Yeah, and, and an FDSC expertise uh, expert. was rampant. <laughs> <laughs> it was rampant. Yeah. Yeah. And I think <laughs> it's so funny. All right. So this is hilarious. And she might get mad at me for this. Um, but I was speaking to, well, I won't say her name and then I'll leave it to, it'll just be two people. So I was speaking to an ex or an ex chair of the FDIC. And I literally said, and now everybody knows um, what maturity transformation is. And she literally goes, what's maturity transformation? And it's I'm like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> It's we get so technical about some of this stuff when these like wild things happen. But then we forget that even, you know, the regulators are like uh, not thinking about some of these terms that we are. It's anyways, it's just hilarious. So going back to going back to that moment that you were talking about there, Dimitri, with the the status page and all that. I mean, I, I take it that was not you running around the office screaming, get a status page up now, right? Like this, maybe not your leadership vibe. So how did that come to be? Like, was it, did the team come to you with, Hey, we could do this. Did, did like Julie run around with her hair on fire? Like somebody solved this thing. Like what was, what, how did That's that exactly come to what be? What was the cultural kind of moment? <laughs> I just assumed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think it was Julie, Julie and the marketing team. I, I don't actually remember who, who was the person who came up with the idea. Yeah. There was a group zoom session happening on like, we were, cause the other thing we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that we were like aligning as a team and a company on how, how, just how we wanted to approach this. And like SDB was a really important, still is like an important partner of ours. Like there was both like an emotional side of like friends and people you work with and, and not wanting to, to your point, Dimitri, like create more chaos. So like, how do you actually be helpful? And we were, somebody was actually asking like, well, what are we seeing? Like, what, what do you, what are we seeing in the networks? And then I can't remember. I don't actually remember who said like, can we publish that? We should publish that. And immediately the team was like, yes, that's, that's really helpful. Like, let's do that. Ryan Smith, one of the, the guys in our marketing org who leads all of our like web work just immediately like jumped on it um, with a few folks and they had it up and running, I think within just a couple hours. Uh, and then sort of, we were doing this three times a day check-in to see what we were seeing. And then we would just publish whatever it was. Um, and and then I should mention that that Sunday when that Sunday, when they announced that, uh, signature was going to receivership, (laughs) we were like, we have a template. (laughs) We have a template. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's let's update this. And and we set up a signature one as well. Yeah. Thankfully, that one didn't last as long. (laughs) Well, I mean, we barely even talked about that one. That was, yeah, there's a whole, we have a whole nother podcast on if Operation Chokepoint 2.0 actually exists or not. Um, But yeah, anyway, 
what was the what was the mood in the air inside of MT at that point? Like on the, those Zoom calls, Julie, and kind of the rest of it was it. I mean, I mean, I think we were all fearful, but it sounds like it was kind of like an all hands on deck. Like, let's work through this. Maybe a little bit less like, ah, let's save our own ass or something. Yeah, I I don't think there was really initial. I I don't think there was any panic, honestly, in on the side of like the MT team. Um, you know, as Dimitri said, we had a lot of customers who were immediately affected. And I think once within the people within MT realized, hey, this isn't like something that that we have to be worried about as like MT employees, we have to think about how we can how we can help others. It really was more of it was people were energized because they they wanted help. And I think they saw like a clear path to do it. So it wasn't like the crisis where you're having the war rooms and people are anxious. And one of the things that I was telling everyone after was like, it's a really rare place to be in it where a crisis happens and like you have the opportunity to insert yourself into it from, from a like positive lens, right? Usually you're on the defensive. It can be really stressful, you know, tempers are high anxiety people, everybody has a really strong point of view. And in this case, it was, such a different approach because we could go in and we could actually help um, and provide value in a way that um, gave people information they didn't have otherwise. And I think that's just, that's a one, a really unique situation to be in and doesn't happen very often when there is so much panic and so much conversation. And especially, I think if you were in the Twitterverse, right? Like just like the blame and the like back and forth. And we sort of just tuned that part out um, and just focused on, okay, what else do we need to be doing? What else can we share? Like, how how can we be useful? And it was funny because we ended up seeing like people sharing that resource page across Twitter, reporters calling in and asking to connect and just get background on like what we're seeing. How does this look? Like just trying to understand like, I think the details and, and there was nothing really in it where we were sort of front and center. It was just sort of, here's here's what's happening. And I think that's a u- unique place to be. So there was a really positive energy in it, in that like... Yeah, it was very galvanizing. It was very galvanizing for the team, I think. I think I think we um I think you know we just turned five years old as a company and we're just kind of reflecting on the different like moment moments and chapters and things that like happen and obviously you know COVID and all kinds of crazy market generation and so on but this is one of them like right this is a this is a defining chapter like a bank crisis and a moment when um you know if if you'd gone back and told me that this was going to happen you know a few years after YC that we were going to like you know um lose lose a few of the key banks in the in the bay area um that'd be crazy i i wouldn't you know so i think that's something that uh we kind of will all probably remember and look back on so that's um so in that sense like you're kind of going through it and you know that this is going to be something that is like different and there's going to be like stories written about it and whatever podcast recorded <laughs> um you yeah. know but, <laughs> but there's but here we are but 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 it, it is something that uh it, again to Julie's point like it doesn't happen very often that like there's something that is sort of like a, a significant event like this you're kind of in the middle of it you're pretty like you have a way to be relevant to it, et cetera. Now let's take just a moment to talk about our exclusive sponsor and the team that makes this all possible, FS Vector. FS Vector is the firm for innovative financial services. That means a lot of things, but most of all, what it means right now is a path to clarity. The policy and regulatory landscape hasn't felt this unclear in a long time 
time. From banking to cryptocurrency and everything in between, uncertainty is rampant. We know there's no crystal ball, but the closest thing we have can be good advisors. Not consultants, as we talked about in the previous episode, but advisors. Navigating uncertainty isn't a job for a noob. That's why FS Spectre has experienced advisors from successful founders to ex-regulators to experts in really all fields. Reason-based, justifiable decision-making that you can clearly <clears throat> show your work to regulators and auditors. It's never been so important to show your work. I wouldn't have started recommending FS Vector to founder friends before they were a sponsor if I really didn't trust their expertise. And I do. And that's why they're a sponsor. If I was building something new right now, I'd be working with FS Vector. I recommend all my friends to them. As I said, if you're building something new, evolving something that exists, or not sure about how to handle a unique situation in the world of financial services, FS Vector can help. Go to fsvector.com and tell them Zach sent you. I'm curious about your emotion set during this time frame, like from the perspective of, you know, concerned about concerned about the world because I know you, but also concerned about potentially your valuation, concerned about the rest of these banks, concerned about the valuations and funding of your customers. Like this is like a, you know, it's a domino effect of like, at least in my brain, I would have been probably freaking the fuck out quietly at the very least. Um, so I'm curious how you were feeling through this whole process and like the roller coaster of emotions, even from like Friday through that next week and kind of, yeah, especially in well, retrospect, curious. You know, the biggest thing I think for me was just like, you know, we, we, we've been very close to a lot of team members at SVB. And so I think like the reality of what is going to happen to that team, obviously as a bank that has been close to us and a partner with us, but like more, more, I think in an emotional level, it's more important than like the people that are actually there. Um, you know, one, one thing that's kind of crazy is in that month of March, if you were an SVB employee, you had four tax or tax like uh pay stubs because oh, wow. you worked for silicon valley bank you worked for the national bank of santa clara you worked for the silicon valley bridge bank and then eventually first citizens <laughs> and so just like think about like that journey uh and everybody there who and, and of course some people have left since and some people you know are sort of doubling down on the new svb and 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 you know but i think one of the th one of the things that was kind of going through my mind is in a way it's like a fascination of like this this doesn't happen very often it's kind of interesting to watch just like like in a in a weird like you know anthropological and like intellectual exercise like what how does this actually look how does that actually happen you know, I think that obviously there's other banks that were that were affected, and so like I think there's an element that was going through my mind of like, well, what is you know, where does the domino sort of stop, and what does it mean for us, and what does it mean for us from a you know from a positioning perspective, less about valuations things, more just like what is what is it that like the product that we're offering and putting out into the world like how does it actually work in a world where like are we all going to end up with like one you know or a handful of, of nationalized sort of banks and like if there's this is a very different world and so you know i think there's an element you're seeing these different uh geographies have very different like regulatory climates different banking um uh, architectures sort of and so like knowing where the us is headed would be nice to know. I'm not sure that I know that, but but it's something that like certainly is going through my mind as this was kind of um, unrolling. And I was talking to people who were at banks, were at other places, and kind of like hearing about uh, just the, the the realities. I think the other reality that I think is 
also just like really relevant for startups is like these periods of uncertainty, they're not super short, right? Like, I mean, you basically have this sort of body blow to the, to the system. Uh, and then, you know, if you think about 08, like it took, a, it took probably it took like three or four years before things sort of like really stabilized. So if you're a startup and your horizon is 24, 36 months, something like that, like you're now operating in a world that is pretty unsettled for the next couple of years in this part of the world. Now that can be an opportunity, obviously, that's a lot of big startups grow from, um, but it can also be a risk. I mean, but fundamentally, it's just like a different, you're, you're in a, you know, the game's changed a little bit because um, you're not in this like stable set kind of world, you're now in a world where we have seen bank failures. Like that hasn't happened for a long time. Um, and we haven't seen, you know, and we're we're recording this on May 25th. We're about a week away from the debt ceiling. Like who knows what, you know, currency even is, uh, you know, in a, you know, right in a week. So um, I do think that there's like a, a period of of um, which as a startup is really exciting. Like uncertainty is great. Like uncertainty is where startups grow from. Uh, and it's like, it's not good to be an incumbent uh, when there's uncertainty. It's, it's better to be a startup in some ways. But, um, but it doesn't mean that it's, it's not like sort of, there's not like risks and things that can kind of catch you. So that's a lot of what I was thinking about is like, what is this period that we're entering into now? And, and what does it mean for us? And what are the types of risks that we can take that would be, that would be, um, you know, stupid? Uh, and what are the risks that we could take that would be, uh, actually, actually the right things to do? So I think the other thing that you have to think about as the startup is like, you have a, a group of employees and team members, right, who, who've maybe been through this since 2008. Like we were, you were not with me, I don't think in London, but when we worked at the same company in 2008 and we happened to be in the Oh, economist. weird. What? Hold on. Rewind. Yeah. P- pause. You guys were working together in fucking 2008 and then yeah. you're working together again for the, wow. And All right. So let's have you two not work together much more. Let's do that <laughs> next. <laughs> the, uh, but the funny thing was actually the day that Lehman Brothers crashed in 2008, uh, I was in London with uh, the CEO of the company we worked for at the time. And we were sitting in The Economist doing an editorial board with their entire their entire editorial team. And all of a sudden, all the phones in the room started going off. And it was like, what's happening? And that was the, the Lehman Brothers collapse, right? And, and so I think there's a lot of people in this company that have seen these things. And so you kind of have that counterbalance too. But for a lot of people who are younger, right, this was their first time sort of seeing a big, big economic shakeup that like is hard to predict. And I think to your, what we were all just saying is like, that's kind of the nature also of being in a startup, right? Is like, yes, established companies, you're riding that wave, but I think you sort of sign up for it a little bit more when you're in the startup because you just have to be able to be more nimble. Um, and, and kind of, and now it's sort of like, what's, what's next? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I was actually going to ask you guys a different question after this, but now like the, like, look at the Mercuries, you know, like uh, how much Ahmad has had growth. Just, I mean, that chart of like <laughs> where the deposits went. Right. And then it was like JPM up top, of course. And then I think Mercury was literally second or so. I mean, it was like a ridiculous number that they took on deposit wise. So to your point, I mean, it's it's a it's an opportunity creating moment for those that are but, able to move but you know, nimbly enough. I think I think we've talked about this before. Like, this is one of these things that I sort of like. Uh, believe very deeply, which is you can't forecast any of these things, <laughs> right? And so, like, if you if you were if you were in mod and you went to in two thousand and I don't know nineteen twenty when they were kind of starting and they're like and you drew the chart of the deposit inflow as it happened and you said this was going to happen, <laughs> like they would be like 
that's crazy. Like that makes no sense. Like why is it that in one month you just jump up like crazy? You're like, well, extraneous events might affect it. Like, <laughs> uh, but you know, the the uh, forecasting ability and the spreadsheet ability of like being able to know what's actually happening and what's going to happen and how big is your team and how. And we talked about all this stuff. It's like it's so funny to me when it's like one of these events happens. And like every core assumption is just changed. And so every decision you're making earlier kind of doesn't, you know, really like it's not just, it's just not right. Um, yeah. So the, the next question I was going to ask you is, so now how do you think about Black Swan events after all this? So fucking, there you go. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty much exactly what we were talking about. Um, they ha- they happened when Julie and I worked together. That's, yeah, that's, that's, what that's, that's what I've learned. <laughs> that's the takeaway. That's the only takeaway that I've It's not I a good thing for the financial system. <laughs> yes, we, we have uh, an extreme amount of control, apparently, that we just didn't know about. <laughs> Something universal when you two get together. <laughs> it just gets, gets interesting. Um, I'm curious in those in those moments, kind of talking a little bit back about like how you were feeling in that moment and like, not really that scared. It was galvanizing all that kind of stuff. I feel like part of that is you have to develop enough of a point of view that is probably a little bit unique. Like I imagine that point of view and the perspective that wasn't just fear came from reading something outside of what everyone else was reading or being able to call someone that maybe not everybody else can call or things like that. So I'm sure that both of you were getting weird and wild and numerous calls as all this was unfolding. But I'm kind of curious, like who, who are the people that you two pick up the phone and call? Like is I'm sure to me, sure you got to call the board and tell them that everything's going to be okay or something like that, or call, you know, main investors. Um, but to develop a point of view on something like this, like how do you go about information gathering in a short, period of time sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's not. So first of all, I think there is certain, uh, there's certain timeframes on which you're going to be able to like act or not act. So, I mean, the first kind of, in, you know, for me in my job today, like the number one thing is how do we make sure that we as a company are fine? So Julie kind of mentioned like we, we were fine as a company in terms of our own, you know, kind of where our finances were, how we could run payroll, things like that. Um, and so like that, that was like the thing that internally, like we had to go make sure that we, we, we can do, we have, you know, we, we have funds in different, uh, in different places. So we were, we were okay, but like, we had to make sure that was the case. And then of course, inform the board and all that about what it is that, you know, what is, what is going to happen on Monday? Can, you know, could we meet payroll on Tuesday? I mean, that was like a real, you know, one of the things about banking, I think is so fascinating is that like people perceive it as this like very like dry and boring thing. And it kind of is a lot of the time, but like when it actually matters, it's like the most emotional thing you've ever seen, right? Like, and this is this is true for both consumer and and corporate, right? Like, if if a, if a company is gonna you know be at a risk of you know running out of payroll or something, that is the most emotional thing that you'll ever see a board or a or a founder uh, at. You know, on a personal level, I don't know, like when you're getting like a mortgage or something, that's like a very big emotional decision and like moment and all the paperwork and all that. So anyway, I think what one of the things that I think is interesting about banking, like broadly, is that it becomes this in, in the moment when it matters, it is like the only thing that matters. <laughs> and so, you know, for us, like we had to make sure that we as a company were, to- were fine and we're going to be okay as far as, you know, payroll next week and things like that. But then, then we kind of transition into, okay, well now what, on what time frame are there risks or opportunities that we will be able to benefit from or we have to watch? And that time frame really became 
you know, weeks and months, not days. Um, and so that was, you know, like, then I don't worry as much, right? Because it's not days. Uh, <laughs> so I think that, like, when you get into a startup, you have to have, like, a certain, you know, thick skin of, like, like we don't really know. Uh, and again, maybe this is, goes back to the point I was making about forecasts and spreadsheets. If you don't really believe, uh, if you don't hold them so closely to you, that, like, this is what's going to happen next month, then you're actually, like, more open to... Um, things that can be, you know, taken advantage of and kind of like good opportunities that you can, you can run towards or, or when something happens, it doesn't, it's not as devastating. It's sort of like, yeah, well, you know, that was a scenario. Like that's something that we thought might happen, didn't happen. Something else happened. So, so be, but um, yeah, to go back to your question, I mean, for, you know, there's a lot of people that obviously I've, uh, we've worked with both as uh, at companies, at banks, at, um, um, kind of, you know, con- consultancies and regulators and things like that that are kind of in around it. So it's interesting. I think that especially I think when also people who think you're relevant for something will reach out and tell you things. So it's not it's not even really That's interesting. It's not just it's not a pull based thing. It's kind of like a push based thing, too. So people were just sending you random like, hey, this might be helpful for you to know over the weekend kind of a thing, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And just like, hey, like this is, and I think that like, you know, one of the things that um, I was really interested in is, you know, how, how wide does this go? Right. Like how, cause you know, SVB was, a, you know, it still is like a really important actor in the startup ecosystem. And there's some things that are unique about it, but if you really think about what some of the proximate causes of like these, you know, these bonds that they bought, it has nothing to do. It's really not a startup thing, and you can and you saw that with other other financial institutions that kind of ran into trouble, um, obviously as well. So one of the things that I was kind of trying to figure out is like, well, you know, things happen faster in startup world, but like, is it going to happen everywhere? Like, what's you know what's happening? <laughs> um, so, but yeah, so that was there's obviously people who are less involved in Silicon Valley, but are like more involved in kind of DC, you know, Wall Street, etc. That that I was chatting with. So I think part of this too, like there's a little bit of like that old adage of just like being prepared or having experience. And one thing that I'll say specifically about you, Dimitri, is that you are a student of history too. So you, I feel like also have a context that just not everyone carries with them because you think about things. And we were doing a background call with a reporter and you were basically like educating this person on like how often bank runs happen, what they look like. Like there was like a a context that like you just carried, which I feel like settles you, but settles other people. And I think also just for so many people kind of going back to what we just said, having seen other things like they're in their careers and seeing 2008 and, and some people being around in 2000, 2001, like, and coming out of those worlds, like they sort of get those things. And and so I think having, whether it's been through a million crises or done those things, like you sort of know, like once you're in one, okay, like we're in it. So like, let's just focus. And, and I think for the people that have been through it, like the panic kind of throttles down and the focus throttles up and you're like, okay, this is one of those moments. And so, but I think your context specifically on just history and, especially like history of tech banking business gave you a lens that not everyone was looking at this through, which is, is kind of what also steered us. It still wasn't lens. I'm sure that uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger were probably like, ah, 1929 wasn't that bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think that's the exact, like this, following you on Twitter is a mix of really hilariously bad jokes that I appreciate the shit out of and a very Munger-esque 
take on the world of technology, but as if Munger was born when you were born and not born when he was born, right? I think there's a certain amount of Charlie Munger that is just stuck in when he came out of the womb, right? Like I think he, him being born when you were born would manifest itself with someone that's at least open to the idea. Well, I guess he came back out and said that Bitcoin's not venereal disease or whatever this year, but you know, would, would be more open-minded to things along those lines. Um, and I think that that historic lens is rare, you know, cause I don't, I, you don't, <laughs> we're just going to have a Dimitri, uh, hour here. Um, you don't really chase trends. Like I haven't seen you say anything or heard you say anything about AI. Like, I know that you guys are working on whatever, like you're paying attention to it. Like your, both your parents are freaking computer science geniuses. Like this is something you've probably been thinking and, you know, working on for a long time, but it's, it's just interesting the way that you are actually very calm in the storm with these things consistently. And you don't have to say anything back to this. I just think it's it's interesting to Julie's point. AI is going to be are, huge. You are that. We can talk about AI. If you want to talk about AI, AI is going to be huge. But <laughs> <laughs> well, but you would have said that when you were like three. It, it is a thing, though. And, and so keep tweeting, I guess, is my takeaway. Keep tweeting. <laughs> I think this is the closest I've ever gotten to get you to blush. <laughs> I love it. Um, Julie, you were referencing the way that things like the preparation before a situation like this. Right. And one of the core tenants that you all had had, I think, since the founding of the company, or at least like from the early days, like from YCS time frame was being multibank and just the importance of kind of having, you know, the ability to have backups, things along those lines. When did that kind of come into the core tenants of the business? Like, was that from day one, Dimitri, or was that something that you've kind of like uncovered and realized was important, obviously well before the SVB situation, but you know, a little later in the life of the company? Well, part of the experience that we brought into Modern Treasure with us is from Lending Home, which is an online mortgage company, and it's really a lending a lending company. And when you are a lending company, you need capital from different uh, sources. And oftentimes, those are different financial institutions. So you kind of end up working with different banks, uh, maybe private credit organizations as well, but like a lot of banks as, uh, in, in the process as well. And so when you have like warehouse lines, you have different banks, et cetera, you sort of live in a world where you have constantly... Um, you're logging into different bank portals, you're connecting with different different banks. And so I think that was something that was like part of uh, our kind of uh, upbringing, if you will, in, in this kind of payment ops world. And then when we started talking to companies that were more, uh, you know, more international, I mean, uh, Lending Home was entirely domestic, but companies that are international, oftentimes they need their different financial institutions and different geographies. So um, I think that like the ability to have a software uh, product, kind of an operating system for money movement that connects into different uh, payment rails, and whether those are banks, whether those are payment processors, whether those are, uh, you know, crypto, what 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 have you. Like you need to have a single uh, layer for that. So that's that's kind of core to the product. So it wasn't necessarily that we were thinking about it from like a backup perspective. It kind of more started from okay, well, and you see this a lot of times in companies that start small, they start with uh, a smaller kind of bank, they work just domestically, they get some scale, they get to some point, and then all of a sudden they start getting into, oh, how do we actually go and add new products? And how do we go international? And and we oftentimes today like start working with large companies around this kind of like new initiative. Um, and we start working with them because they're like adding a new product onto an existing set of products. Uh, and that may require a different financial partner. It may require a different geography. So, um, so I think we arrived at that not from like a 
backup like how do you add a second bank for the sake of for the sake of redundancy although that's something that's important and again depending on the product it, it also m- makes a big difference like if you're a payroll product that's probably more important to you to have that kind of redundancy and 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 then if you're a, a b2b invoicing company where you know not that like it's not important to be on time but if you're a day late it's a little bit less sensitive than something like payroll and you know, benefits and things like that so that's that's a little bit of where we're kind of coming from and when you think about every payment starting and ending in software, like being able to connect that into different systems becomes really kind of challenging. And, and, and I think a lot of companies face that question of like, well, how many engineers do we want to dedicate to build to this? Like, and, and it's always like, there's just one more, just one more, just one more. And like, there's kind of like this never ending, like set of uh, additional partners, additional compliance things, financial institutions. So again, kind of coming from, for that perspective of like, how does, how does this company set itself up for success? And and actually add other other partners over time. That's kind of where we came from. But but then yeah, like once you have it, you also have this ability to do backup. Yeah. So it sounds like I mean, at the end of the day, or maybe even more so at the beginning of the day, it's almost more of like an interoperability thing than it is a and yeah, flexibility. Like, yeah. like you said, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Always fascinating to find out how these things came to be. Um, so I guess I guess my big question is what has it been like culturally internally since then like to your point you said earlier dimitri this was this was galvanizing right is do you feel like this is something that kind of galvanized and is continuing to like like really mesh the team together and like how how has it impacted the team culturally i guess internally like in the coming two months after the insanity I gotta take a stab at it. I mean, I think for I think we're, we've probably noticed uh, us as a company kind of moving a little bit faster. I mean, I think just like people having deeper bonds and working closer together when you go through something like that is like a good you know it's a good thing in building building up the uh, like team cohesion and kind of culture piece. Um, so I think it's definitely been noticed. I mean, obviously the world keeps changing. So, you know, we've had other, other, um, situations and other companies that have come to us that we didn't, you know, weren't talking to before we're doing our, uh, our first like user conference, uh, in a couple of weeks. And so like, they like watching the team kind of like just really work together and kind of pull together all the pieces of it. I mean, you, you know, as well as anybody, how much the work these events, uh, end up taking. So, um, yeah, I think, I think working closer together is like a really key input into that. What was interesting was that the week that week we were all together sort of like a kickoff offsite so we you know the marketing and banks and sales and execs and kind of everyone working truck together and and then you know by the end of that week the svb collapse had happened and it's just sort of i think reframed like the work that was team building in practice became like the reality of it very quickly and so we were all just kind of in it working together. And I think to your point, Dimitri, that's just carried on, whether it's, you know, yes, next week we have our big um, first user conference, which is a huge milestone for us. And that's been all hands on deck in a way that is sort of similar, like, and just seeing everyone come together. But I, I think it was, it was galvanizing, but it also just taught us how to work together and be really efficient in like, what is the job to be done and focus, um, which is a hard thing to to do, especially when there's a lot of like external noise on something. Um, and so I think that that's sort of the, the big takeaway that I've had. 
I just totally forgot until you just mentioned that. But like that Monday, we opened our New York office. It was the day we moved into our New York office and we were supposed to have like a team happy hour and like welcome to the office and like whatever, like moving in festivities. And it was like, we all for, like none of that like happened. Like we forgot about that. Like, you know, it's like we all we're all we're all very grateful to Katie, if you're listening for like getting the office to, to, to good shape. But we just like moved in and we were like working like the moment we were there, like that Monday morning, because that Monday morning was when Silicon Valley Bank was starting to turn on all those systems and we we're kind of, you know, responding to customer requests and things like that. So anyway, uh, I kind of totally like that, that that would have been an event that just became a non-event sort of we just like showed up and there was office. That's wild. I actually, I was recording a podcast that morning with Kristen Anderson and Alex Johnson, just doing, attempting to do some sort of Monday morning quarterbacking, literally. And uh, at the end of that podcast was when I think Kristen clicked refresh on the, on the MT status page and the like uh, first transfer, like gone out and it had officially moved. And we had this moment at the end of the podcast that Kristen just goes, we were like, literally, I was about to click like into recording and Kristen just goes, it's, it's back on. And we just like like had this moment of celebration on the call. And it's really, it's just funny how big but small this world is, right? Like talking to you guys now about like kind of that experience on Monday and just fintech is like a hilariously, it's do good things and they will come back to you sort of a thing because there's not, the industry isn't that big, um, but it's also gigantic at the same time. It's really interesting. Um, I want to close on talking about transfer. Your, that's what it's called, right? Yep. Okay. It's, it's stuck in my head because it was such a damn good name. So kudos to whoever named it. Um, and Frank, if you're would, listening, there you go. Um, and yeah, tell me, tell me more about it. I'd love to like, you know, I don't think this will be out before it actually happens, but would love listeners to know about it. And at least maybe if there is an ability to go back and watch any videos or, you know, any way to engage, I would love everybody to know about it. It's June 1st, San Francisco. Um, it's a one day event that we are having our first sort of user conference, um, a mix of both users, I would say customers and, and people that are just interested in money movement, FinTech. Um, we've got a great agenda set up. So you'll hear from Dimitri and Matt, you know, and kind of laying out the product vision and, and sort of what we do for this audience. It'll be streaming virtually. Um, as well, we have, um, the head of payments, SPP of payments from the federal reserve system there to talk about Fed now, uh, with, Sam, our CTO and other co-founder, we've got kind of a great lineup of just like panels of people who have been in the trenches building payments into their products. Um, everyone from Navon to Procore, Roe, um, we've got a ton of banks that are going to be in the room as well. Goldman Sachs is participating on a panel with us, um, with one of our customers, Procore. So sort of a day of content. And then we're wrapping with, um, a fireside chat with Brad Gerstner uh, and Ben and David from the Acquired Podcast. So that's going to be really wide fun. ranging. Oh, that's that's Payment, really cool. Movement, resiliency, all of it. I love that you're wrapping with the Acquired thing. It's cool how much of a like full circle relationship you've had with them. It seems like a really positive thing for I mean the world really. Yeah, we've, we're excited to have them there. But yeah, it's going to be something that, you know, I think the having, you know, a few hundred people who are in in this, to your point, it's not such a big world, like having the experiences that are, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, like what is it like to actually like um, operate payment operation scale? What does it mean to deal with some of these uh, new FedNow and other uh, elements? That's all, that's all things that, um, you know, are going to be part of this. 
Yeah. Will it be recorded and available to to watch posthumously? Yeah. Yep. I don't think that's the you, right word. Uh, we will <laughs> have it all hosted up on our site, so you'll be able to come in after and check it out too. Awesome. Yeah. I don't think this will be out before then, but I will, um, I'll include the link to kind of all that in the show notes and, um, you know, assuming you guys do it in 24, happy to, happy to kind of put a thing out there for that. Um, listeners, anything that modern treasury does is something you should probably be at least paying attention to. So we will share that in the show notes and I'll make sure that we get, you know, the kind of all the basics in there for right now. And, uh, appreciate y'all any like final words that you want to leave on any like moments of zen that you would like to to depart with well going back to like the surreal part of it like so we're having transfer and then a couple of months after that fed now is launching it's the first payment rail in 40 years in the u.s like you could not make this timeline up right like you have like svb and all that in march you have transfer and then you have fed now and the importance of like real time connections and data and, and instant payments and all that coming to the us we've seen that work in you know in india and in brazil and elsewhere so uh you know again i don't really believe in forecast but it's going to be really interesting to see what happens like you know you know that something's going to happen you know that changes are coming to the us payment system like it's not going to be st- static so that's pretty exciting I find myself saying what a time to be alive quite often right now. It's going to be fast. I mean, it already has been one of the craziest fucking year in my professional life. Um, I can only imagine what the rest of it's going to hold. Julie, any moments of Zen from you? No, I think it, this whole experience, I I mean, I, I think the more you go through these types of wild experiences, the more you just get to reflect back on them and then, in, in a weird way, you don't ask for crises, but you look forward to like, okay, I know how to navigate this or work in it. And it becomes sort of a, I think it gives you a better flexible, more flexible view when they do happen, because you're kind of like waiting for whatever's next to come, knowing that like, you've just seen a lot of crazy things. So it's sort of like, it's part of the ride that you sign up for. If you can do that, you can do anything else, right? Indeed. Indeed. All right. Thank you too. Appreciate the hell out of you. Always good to hang out and we will have to do this again soon. I hope. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. If you're still listening, you're probably reaching for your phone to pick your next podcast or switch to music or just call it a day because you can't believe how much valuable information you just took in. But before you pick that next thing, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends and all that jazz. Generally scream from the rafters about how much you love FinTech Family Hour. Thank you again to our sponsor, FS Vector. And until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, your costs low, and I love you all. Bye.